yes, welcome to the Boss and the Brewer podcast. This is the first proper episode. This week we were experimenting a little bit. Um, we recorded it on Instagram Live and it was a little clunky. The delay was a little bit much and so the audio won't be amazing. So next week we'll probably choose a different technology. Just try to find a balance between um, doing it live if we can, but also making sure the audio quality is good. So bear with me this week on the audio quality. But other than that, let's get into it. Well, you could, what's your internet like? I can see you. Oh, there you go. I can hear you, but not on my uh, headphones, that's all. Oh, okay. Well, you, you sound fine to me. Yeah, awesome. How you doing, mate? Very good. Are you going to have to hold on to that phone, or have you got like a little tripod thing there for you? I'm going to try and lean it on something, so I don't have to. Yeah, nice. <laughs> that works. There go. Very good. <laughs> what's happening? I'm just going to crack a beer, mate. Nice. Um, yeah, well, well, I should explain what we're doing. We're trying to uh, get a few birds stoned at once on this little call here. Good idea. Um, so we're launching a podcast. It's called The Boss and the Brewer. We already have a website. We actually haven't talked about this yet until this live call, <laughs> which makes it a bit more fun. Um, but we've got a website. We're, in the, we're already in the Apple Podcasts. And uh, this is going to be yes. the first episode that we're going to attempt to do live. Look at us go. That was put together very quickly, mate. This is the uh, more beer, Aussie Lager. So um, shout out to Moz and the crew down at um, more beer. Um, gave, gave them a quick oh, They had a call with them yesterday. Did him a favour and surprise out of nowhere, a bloody case of beer arrived on my doorstep today about lunchtime today. So... Cheers. That's, that's very nice. Well, part of my reason for wanting to do this podcast is so I can be part of that crew that gets free beer sent to them. Um, so I'm hoping that's a thing. Let's make it a regular thing. So if anyone wants to send free beer to us, I'd totally be down for that. 100%. What do you got there? <laughs> what do you got there? So, so I've got the eight wild for Joa Sour, which is a little bit fancy. Oh, the classic. Yes. It's an absolute classic, mate. So I went to the bottle shop and um, I had this beer and the guy there was like, oh, that looks like a fancy beer. It's a bit too fancy for me. And I'm like, oh, I've got a brewery. We just did a Fajoa Sour because we just did one for AWOL. And I said, I'll, I'll bring one in for you. And he goes, oh, what's the brewery? And I said, it's Black Ops. And he goes, oh, my son works there, Dean. And um, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I know Dean. And he's like, yeah, the guy with the beard. And I'm like, yeah, I know Dean, the guy with the beard. He looks a bit like Jesus. Um, and, and, and then he told me his surname, and it was sort of a weird surname that sounded like the other Dean because he's also got a weird surname. But it turned out we employed two Deans, both with weird surnames, both with beards, and one of them I'd never met. Yeah, right. There's like, there's, you, you've got two Deans working for you and one you've never met. That's, that means you've got a big company, mate. It's getting Just out saying. of hand. Yeah, well, this was only a couple of days after we started, so I, that's in my defence. We've also got two Dans that work for us now as well. Awesome. That's um, as in two others apart from yourself or...? No, I was including myself in that. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so it's just double Dan. It's double Dan. All right, well, this is... Double Dan. 
a bit of a loose format here, Hendo. So the first little segment I've got is just a bit of a headline run through. And I'm going to fire off some of the headlines in the beer industry from the last week or so. And you can tell me if you want to talk about any of them. And then a bit later on in the show, we'll go through some sort of bigger questions that we can go into more detail on. But so the headlines, yep. I've got listed down here. Stone and Wood sold. That's been a couple of weeks, but that's still an ongoing headline. Um, Spinifex crowdfunding was interesting. They raised $2, $2 million. Matzo's heading to Queensland up the sunny coast in New Monday, opening a tap room up there at a pretty reasonable expense. Yep. Um, Gab's Can Design Awards are open, which is fun. Uh, the judging for the Indies is this week as well, which is interesting, which I assume you've got something to do with. And Next week, yep. Next week. And the last thing I've got on here, actually the last thing I've got on here I only just saw in the Australian, and I don't have access to it, so I didn't have time to read it, but apparently the ACCC are looking into competition in the craft beer sector and looking into the line acquisition of Stone and Wood. So... <clears throat> Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Do you want to tackle any of those? Oh, well, let's start from the top, eh? Let's uh, let's touch on the uh, the stone and wood for the, uh, the 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 boss and the brewer perspective. Um, that's um, it, I think it's been how long now? A week? Two weeks? I don't know. A couple of weeks. Time flies. Yeah. But uh, and you know. I've had a bit of time to think about it and, you know, there's quite a bit to unfair for me. I've been pretty pretty quiet about it on, like, social media and that sort of thing. <clears throat> and I think that there's, like, a lot of different ways that I kind of think about um, the Stone and Wood acquisition. I guess when it comes to the beer itself, um, you know, I, I feel pretty, like, indifferent. I don't think it's going to change the beer. Like, I still love Pacific Ale and that sort of thing, and I don't think that's really going to change. It's a very accessible beer. Mm. Um, I think, you know, even though the the value of the sale was was undisclosed, I think, you know, if you go by what's what's the common valuation these days, is it $20, $20 to, to the litre annual, or what's, what's it looking like these days, you reckon? Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, I mean, the, the, the Australian are printing. The Australian in their headline printed five hundred million dollars in their headline, and and there's, that seems fair. Yeah, and there's 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 numbers in like the Australian Financial Review put some numbers out on it, and I do subscribe to that. So I saw some of those some of those numbers look very weird, but that number seems to be popping up. But I don't know what the multiples are. And to, and to be honest, I don't think the multiples are relevant because I think they're buying. You know, they're not buying the leaderage and stuff. They're, they're buying an iconic brand. So I think they've probably just oh, worked exactly. out how much they want to pay yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, what they're buying is, as, as has happened, you know, before all, all, the, all the times before, you know, with, uh, you know, Bolter, Mountain Goat, Green Beacon, Pirate Life, Four Pines, you know, all that sort of thing. They're just buying market share, you know, and Stonewood had 1% market share of the of the total Australian beer market, not just, not just craft beer, um, because... Um, you know, as as is the case, has been for the last sort of 20-odd years, the beer market in Australia is actually in decline. And so the two big players, the Lions and the CUBs out there, they want to preserve as much of that share of a shrinking pot as they can. And so, um, you know, to buy something, to, to buy 1% of the beer market, it's a no-brainer, really, you know, um, I think um, um, 
I think Lyon is actually a good fit for Stone and Wood, to be fair. Um, there's, um, you know, having, you know, worked there, um, you know, about three or four years ago or something like that, um, you know, there's a lot of people in there who are familiar with the, the Lyon culture and that sort of thing. Um, and um, uh, I think if you think back a few weeks, the, the tell to say that the, to, to sort of like, for me, the tell that something was was up was when they released the uh, Green Coast as a three and a half mid strength in in clear bottles, and and I think that that was the really big tell for me uh, that something was going to to happen imminently. I didn't expect it to happen that quite that quick, but um, but it came along pretty quick because you have to think about it, right? Is what's what's Australia's biggest selling beer, right? It's Great Northern. Great Northern. Mm. It's Australia's biggest selling beer brand, right? And that's a CUB brand. And Lion, try as they might, don't have uh, anything like that to compete with. Yeah, they've had they've tried Iron Jack and that sort of thing, but no one no one fucking drinks Iron Jack, you know, because you know you, you got to think about what is it that makes a Great Northern drinker drink Great Northern. It's part like of it's the price, home. but I think. <laughs> Sorry, that was a rhetorical question. I, I want to answer your question. Yeah, I, I don't mean it as a rhetorical question. I think it's like um, um, the people who drink Great Northern think that Great Northern is an actual brewery. Mm. Yeah, it's a marketing. Because it's marketed. It's marketed that way, you know. If you look at the billboards, um, you know, read the labels themselves, that sort of thing. People think that Great Northern is a brewing company. It kind of has this shroud of being not craft but but being a brewing company and taking on some of the characteristics of a of a craft brewery of being local to a location. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't know where the fucking location is though because Yatla. it's just the beer from North, up here. It's North Queensland and Yatla. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Close and and, for, and I guess for a lot of you know the, the great northern drinkers out there that's good enough. And um and so I think Lion buying Stone and Wood and at the same time Stone and Wood releasing Green Coast as a 3.5% mid-strength um, gives Lion uh, a real crack at having a go at Great Northern. It's a direct play against Great Northern. Um, because Would you give him a chance at, people, against Great Northern? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give, it, give it 12 to 24 months. I reckon they'll, they'll give it a red-hot go. I think... Um, I think if the if the marketing message around Green Coast and um, you know you notice that they're pushing Green Coast as the primary brand, not Stone and Wood, because people think you know Great Northern drinkers when they think Stone and Wood, they think Pacifica, they think that's oh, that fruity shit, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's why they're pushing the Green Coast thing. And I think I think within twelve to twenty four months, um, done properly, executed properly from a marketing perspective. Uh, you might see Green Coast having a red hot go at Great Northern. See, I wonder though if the if the play is to just focus on the Green Coast brand and not the Stone and Wood, then then why did they buy Stone and Wood? Um, because they don't have a brand that has this local aspect to it. You know that local feel. Mm. You know, um, yeah. it's cheaper for them to buy it than buy one than it is to create one. I think I would say because they've already because Lions already tried to create. A local brand. They they tried Iron Jack, you know, and um, it just didn't stack up against Great Northern. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's a really interesting. 
yeah, interesting. I mean, that's I'm, my perspective. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah. So you think it's got a lot to do with with that beer? I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I, I, I kind of thought Lion were looking around for some more relevance in craft because CEB have done so well with their acquisitions. Lion already have a pretty good um, portfolio when it comes to their craft offering. Um, you got to look at it. You got to look at what Lion do from a global perspective, mate. Not just Australia. Mm. Um, you know, Little Creatures, um, New Belgium, uh, Magic Rock. Um, you know, they're all part of Little World Beverages, which is all Lion, right? Yeah. Um, and and so from a from a global, no one's talking about this, right? Everyone's thinking about it from the um, perspective of um, uh, the Australian craft beer market. But Lion's already a pretty big. Um, player in in craft beer from a global perspective, um, and Stonewood's a really good um, 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 addition to that portfolio. Nice. So that'll be a good custodian, then. Mm. In other words. Oh, look! If you're going to throw the c word around, <laughs> <laughs> something something just crossed my mind. Actually, um, so so Lion at one point owned a share of stone and wood and the founders were friends this is back in the day and then when lion 2010 listed and mm. yeah and they mm. when they listed or when when uh, sorry when um little creatures listed when lion bought a certain chunk of them they bought their shares back and it just, crossed, it just yeah. crossed my mind that if they did sell for the amount that is listed in the australian website of 500 million then they would have bought those shares back for not much and then eventually sold their business for more than Lion sold for. Sorry, more than Little Creatures sold for. Oh, chicha. Yeah, absolutely. Lion, Lion waited 10 years and ended up paying a fuck ton more yeah. for the same business. So That's pretty good chess from the same yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, back in the early days of Stone of Wood, there was a period there where, um, you know, a lot of rapid growth, you know, the, you know, the drill, a lot of rapid growth, a uh, bit of crunch on cash and that sort of thing as, as you're trying to grow. Um, and, um, um, you know, I, I, you know um, I, they, they would have put their hand out to, to Lion at some, at some point um, back in the early days. I think at the time, I think Lion said no and Little Creatures said yes and Little Creatures were independent at the time. Lion bought Little Creatures. I think there was something in Stone and Woods, company uh, articles of association constitution or something like that. But basically said, you know, if if um, their share of the business got bought out by a major brewer, that they could buy the shares back at an agreed value, and that's what happened. But they would have had to raise cash. That clause in there. Yeah, well, it's, well it's, it's it's paid off for them big time, hasn't it? You know, mm. so. Um, so yeah, I guess that's how it's all. It's it's it swings and roundabouts, mate. It's like you know, it's. It's all just come around again, come to pass, and at the end of the day, you know, Lions picked up a, a pretty, pretty, pretty good deal. I think even even if the if the valuations in the newspaper is 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 correct, half a billion, it's not a bad, um, um, not a bad buy. To be fair, interesting. Yeah, I thought the CUB uh, buy of Bolter was the one. I thought that was the one that one of these companies needed to buy because that company was just exploding. Their brand was so relevant, not tied to independence, and it was just going to transition so nicely. Um, and, yeah, yeah, Stonewood will be interesting. Yeah, it'll exactly. Be a little bit different, I think, but, yeah. 
Well, so, well, you know, this is what's going to happen with, with Stone and Wood now, and this is a well-worn path, right, is that, um, um, you know, a major independent brewery gets bought out by, um, you know, one of the multinationals, um, and, you know, the first thing that's going to happen is that every uh, CUB-tied pub out there with Stone and Wood on tap is going to kick Stone and Wood, Pacific Ale, off tap. They'll see a de- uh, they'll they'll see they'll see a lot of you know um, um, you know a lot of um, blowback from independent bottle shops and stuff like that. Um, they'll see a drop in volume for a short amount of time, uh, and then eventually it'll get built back. It's, it's it happened. It's happened to all of the other breweries that have been bought out. Is they have the but then but then the um, the, the 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 buyer basically builds it back up again and turns it into a rip roaring business. You know so. Mm. We'll see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. All right, let, we'll move on to – well, actually, one more question I've got before we get onto the next section is just whether you're surprised when they announce the sale. Least really? surprising news. Okay. Least surprising news of 21. And having worked there, did that affect your opinion? No, not at all. No, no, it didn't, didn't surprise me at all. Um, like um, – um, like I know <clears throat> that a lot of people have been a lot of negative, um, uh, you know, commentary out there, um, you know, about about the sale. Um, you know, some of the negative commentary directed um, at the founders, um, probably Jamie Cook in particular. Mm. You know, Jamie Cook is 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 a bloody legend in the industry, and you know, I've got a deep level of respect for him. Hundred percent. Um, his, uh, you know, his. He's he's done so much for um, you know independent beer over the years, um, and was always staunchly independent. Had this independent perspective when it came to stone and wood and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I would I don't want to speculate what happened behind closed doors or anything like that. Um, but um, um, you know, um, well, you know, he's he's you know the the three founders are just you know three great people. Um, the company's full of wonderful people. I've, you know, there's, they're all bloody legends and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, was I surprised? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. I just went, oh, okay. Because <laughs> you remember you texted me in the, mo- in the yeah. morning that I got, you know, announced that sort of thing, and you're like, um, oh, what did I say? It was like, oh, you said, oh, have you heard any rumours about Stone and Wooden Lion? And I actually was, had this big, big message, you know, ready to fire back at you, and I was like, yeah. No, it wouldn't really surprise me if it happened, you know. And so, it was just a good fit. I honestly believe it was a good fit. And 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 if it didn't happen this year, it would have happened within the next five years easily. Mm, right. Okay. Well, this makes a perfect uh, transition to our next segment, which is called Hard Questions. And yeah. this is where we ask each other the hard questions. And my first question is inspired by yes. a, a James Atkinson article where he wrote up about the stone and wood sale and sort of said, you know, how long can a company be a brewery be independent and looked at the mountain goat sale and four pines and stone and wood and the others and sort of came up with the decision that that a brewery could only be independent for 18 years. So my question to you. How long can a brewery stay independent? Yeah, look, um, uh, I look at brewery ownership like this, right? It's like relationships oh, in life, go. right? It's got a start. Yeah, here we go. It's fucking deep, mate. So deep. <laughs> it's got a start, a middle, and an end. 
right? And so when you decide to start a, a, any business, it doesn't have to be a brewing business or anything like that, but when you start a, uh, a brewing business, there's going to, there's, there is going to be, um, you know, um, one of two outcomes that are going to happen. You're either going to sell it, well, probably three. One of three outcomes. You're either going to sell the business, um, you're either going to go broke, or you're going to fucking die. Wow. And not run it anymore. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, tell me any other situation other than those three options that would happen whenever you start a business. Well, you could die and hand it on to your kids. Well, of course. All right. And so, but the thing is, it's not the, the founder who starts starts the business is going to wind up running it forever. That's my point, right? Mm. And you could, own so, it, you could own it forever. You just you wouldn't have to work in it forever. Oh, look, yeah, look, you, you know, you could wind up in a situation like Cooper's, right? The the other big independent brewery, right? We, but no one's going to call it about independent it. because, <laughs> well, it's, it's it's the big it's the big independent brewery that, that that they don't like to call independent because it's too big, uh, and being big means that you're not independent. Um, and, um, and so if you have a look at what happened with Cooper's, how the, you know, the business was passed down from generation to generation, alluded, you know, as we go from one generation to the next, um, and then Lion started buying shares of it off, you know, descendants, um, and then they end up having to write into their constitution that you, if you wanted to sell your, if you were a Cooper family member, and you wanted to sell your shares, you had to sell it to another family member, you know, so that it just didn't get diluted because Lion would have bought Coopers quite easily without that, you know. Um, so, um, uh, but that's the thing, right, is that, you know, which which way does a brewing business go uh, when, um, uh, when the founders can no longer be in the business? It's either you sell it to someone else, the business goes broke, or you die, and you're not, in, you're not in the business anymore. You know that's 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 really the only three outcomes that can happen. You know, well, how long, man? How, how long have you got? How long? Yeah. How long have you got exactly? <laughs> yeah, just because you die doesn't mean your brewery's no longer going to be independent. It depends <laughs> who you leave it to in your middle. That sort of thing, I suppose. But um, but yeah, um, that kind of leads to my hard question for you, mate. Is how long do you think Black Ops is going to stay independent? Right. Um, I, saw you, I saw you like, then, mate. <laughs> no, that's because I've got my brewer's flannel on. It's very hot in here. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I wrote a, a uh, article about this a few months ago, which, which turned out to be timely because it was well before the Stone and Wood thing, and it would have been weird if I wrote it after the Stone and Wood sale, but it basically said that we, we have independence as one of our values, um, and we like the fact that we own the brewery, but it's near impossible to keep owning the brewery. Like we've already given up half of it to investors mm. um, just mm. through dilutions. We've done 11. Well, I'm planning another investment round now. It'll be our 11th investment round in you know, seven years. And um, you're continuing to get debt and give up shares of the business, you know, as just every single year, every year we run out of money and we need more equipment and we need to expand and you're just not making enough money to fund that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I hope as long as possible, I would like to figure out, I would like to get to a point where you can sustain yourself like Cooper seemed to be at, but it is, it is a bit of a hit to think that Stoner would 
either couldn't get there or kind of just got to that point and thought, okay, enough is enough. But I, I like to think we can get to a point where we can sustain and expand without continuing to give up equity or without selling to the majors because I, I don't love the idea of doing that. But um, we're, we're seven years in, if you count the homebrew days. So that's not a bad start. It's the 18 years. You're half a mountain goat, mate. Yeah, well, not quite. I'm not that good at maths. I think I think I need nine to be half a mountain goat, but close. Yeah, oh, close. <laughs> All right. I should say um, a go. for for people who are live on the Instagram call, we are recording this with the intention of turning it into a podcast, um, and that's why we're ignoring you if you ask any questions at the moment. But we've got a segment at the end where we will take questions from the audience, and we've got people who've given us questions on social media ready to answer. But um, if you're live on the call, we'll take the questions live on the call. But we can't engage too much because it's going to be weird when people listen back to it later. Um, all right, how are we going for time? All right, one, I've got one more hard question for you, Hendo. Are limited yeah. release beers here to stay? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was quick. <clears throat> um, uh, in fact, um, uh, if, you are the, um, if you are the right uh, brewery, you can, you can create a whole business model out of it. Um, you know, I think, um, um, you know, if you look at one of the breweries here in southeast Queensland that I'm a, I'm a fan of, I, I love Range Brewing. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, I love their beers. The beers just continually get better and better and better, and I'm a big, big fan of continuous improvement. Um, and they've built a whole business model um, around limited release beers and one-offs and all that sort of thing. Um, and um, they have to, you know, what, what, you know, they, they might make a bit more margin on their beer and that sort of thing, but they would have to do a lot of work um, to create all these new labels and recipes and market them and uh, names and all that sort of thing. It's a lot of hard work. Mm. Um, not everybody can do what, what range have done, uh, but um, uh, most certainly... Um, it is possible to build a, a business just solely based on, on limited release beers. I think the smart thing for a, a, a typical, craft, typical craft brewery um, would be to have um, a good core range that um, sells a lot of volume but doesn't make a lot of dollars but pays the bills uh, and then have a good cracking seasonal release um, schedule that doesn't sell a lot of volume but might make a, some good margin. And having a mix and getting the balance, the mix right, is pretty tough, as you would probably imagine. Um, it's very easy to chase the um, the limited release thing and go for the shiny things and try and make the quick dollars. But man, it can get really exhausting really quickly. Mm. Um, and likewise, if you're only selling core range beers and you're not doing any limited release beers, life can get pretty boring pretty quickly. I think. And so I think there's a, I think for the typical craft brewery, um, there's definitely balance that that you know needs to needs to happen. Are they here to stay? Absolutely. People want to be wowed by something new and that sort of thing, you know. Um, but look, personally, I'm not someone who goes and um, chases the, the the latest season or release, you know, or anything like that. Um, uh, very very seldom, I suppose. I do it. I'm not I'm not a beer geek. I'm a brewer. And, um, and um, you know, um, but, but I get where, where a lot of people like that are coming from and that sort of thing. 
um, and, you know, why they love the limited release beers. They're here to stay. Whether they'll grow volume, that's a tough one, you know. Mm. It's a very difficult number to grow volume in, you know. So you think people queue up at the uh, tap room? Yeah, it's very much sort of like they're kind of doing it based around a, a, a location. I suppose you've got people like Garage Project in New Zealand who, who do a lot of new interesting, weird, wonderful beers and probably distribute a bit more widely. Um, but yeah, I but they've got a core range as well. Right. Yeah. I, I just, I suppose, I suppose the question is getting at is, is, um, I suppose when hazies came out, it was like, there's a hazy now, there's another hazy, there's a different type of hazy. And then there's just so many different options that you can go with. Is that going to just like, are people going to get sick of a different new beer or is it just going to constantly be a thing where, you know, everyone just wants something new, even if it's only slightly different, just because it's new. Or, or, or is enough changing with, with what's going into beer and the technology and the, the materials and the innovation from the hop companies and all of that, that it'll just keep kind of going. Oh, look, I think, I think that, um, you know, to talk about hazies in particular, that's a whole different, that's, you could go deep down the rabbit hole on that. We'll save that for episode two um, if we make it that far. Yeah. I think, I think IPA goes in 10, 10, to, 10 to 15 year cycles, I think, would be a fair, that would be my assessment um, on, on IPAs. So hazies, what have they been around? Five years, some of like that. We've got 10 more years of hazies to go, I reckon, before the next thing comes out. All right. Well, I welcome that because I like a good hazy. Yeah, same. Yeah. You got a hard well. question for me? They're, one one yeah. last hard question for me before we get into fan questions, even though we don't have any fans. Yeah, we don't yeah, have a yeah. podcast yet. But. Oh, well, we've got 16 people watching at the moment, the bloody phones. Too. That's true. We so, have quite a few questions on here too, so we might have a, have a few that's like, at the end. That's, that's way more than none. That's a lot more than none. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's my question for you. Is um, um, my question for you is um, really? My, I've got a really interesting observation um, over the last couple of years. We, we've both been down to, to Melbourne for the uh, AIBA awards dinner and all that sort of thing, and I find it really fascinating that every time Black Ops wins an award at the AIBAs, like a trophy or something like that, in the room, silence. Right, or it's not the same. It's not the same reaction as the other breweries get. Wow, kind of makes me think that that you might have a few haters out there, right? What do you What do you think about your haters? I don't think we have that many haters. I haven't I haven't noticed that many yeah. haters, to be honest. I think yeah, Melbourne. We don't have as strong a following as we do in Queensland because we just have never distributed beer down there, and we've never had a presence down there. Um, and I suppose it's a pretty clicky sort of market, Melbourne. It's a, you know, they've got a lot of really good beer. They're probably not all that interested in beer from up here. Um, I, I, we do not have too many haters. It's, to be honest, I, um, I'm not good with that kind of stuff. I'm not good with negativity. I don't know how, like, like when, when I'm seeing this stuff about Jamie Cook and Stone and Wood and I'm seeing the stuff, the stuff that Bolter get and I don't know how they deal with it. I, I just, it would piss me off so much. Like, a, like, um, I don't. I, I'm in most of the Facebook groups. I don't think we get a whole lot of hate in there, um, and I, I think I would be the worst person to deal with it. I, I um, I don't know what's going to happen when we get to the size, where, you know, where the kind of bolters and stone and woods are at, where it's like everyone's whinging about these amazing products they're put, they're putting out, and it just makes no sense. I think I'll, I'll probably quit mm. at that point. I'll probably quit at that point because I won't be able yeah. to handle it. But that's interesting about the um, observations 
about the Abra Awards. We'll, <laughs> we'll have to sit. Might just be, might just be me because because in that moment you've just won a trophy and you, you're like there with you know Govs and Eddie and, and and all the other Black Ops crew and you're like oh, yeah, and I'm sitting there like five tables away going fucking room is silent. What the fuck's going on there? You know, it's yeah. It's, it could just be, I don't know, but... Fuck, well, it has been a few years and it's since not we've just, won an Abra too, so maybe things would be different now. We'll have to wait and see if they do it again. Maybe surprise them or something like that, so... <laughs> yeah. All right. It's so, weird. You, you, would, you would never notice it because of it, but I, I, I noticed it. Uh, maybe maybe um, someone's listening who's, who's been on the... Um, who's on the, the stream and might, might have the same observation. But, um, yeah. Well, I'm definitely yeah. going to notice it next you time just, I'm down there. That's for sure. You, deserve the, um, you thoroughly deserve the accolades you get <laughs> and fucking haters going to hate whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, um, I'm going to be paying close attention next time we win an Aber and see if anyone's clapping for us or booing. Um, All you got to do is just go like this ones. Like, just, just WWE, just like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, so this part of the, the show, we're going to move on to some fan questions. And um, my dog is humping my leg at the moment, which is not relevant to the audio of this. I can... Ooh. Elon, do not do that. Um, so if, if anyone on the call has a question, please put it in the thread and we'll answer that. If not, I've got some that I put out on Facebook and they're actually very good. So I, I'll go with the first one, Hendo, from, from Lauren Bennett. Um, how do you decide what's going to sell? Does it become a gut instinct or is there an actual science to tempting our taste buds? I've got an answer for that, but do you want to have a crack at that, Hendo, as well? How do you decide what's going to sell? Um, I'll let you go first, mate. Yeah, well, I, well, I think it's got nothing to do with data and, and in, when we've done well with the beer, almost every time it's been pure instinct. And in fact, on, on my um, Instagram recently, on, my, on the Rusty and Flash show on Instagram, I, I told a story about East Coast Haze. It was actually our, it's fast becoming our best-selling beer. It was our worst-selling limited release mm -hmm. of 2020. Um, and we just felt the timing was right for that beer to become a core range beer. And we kind of ignored the fact that it didn't sell that well when we put it out as a limited release. And we just backed it in and sent it because we just felt it was going to be good. Um, and we did the same thing with Pale Ale back in the day into cans. It was our first beer into cans. We did it differently. There's no amount of data that, that could have told us that these beers would go really well. Um, and, in fact, the opposite is true. If, you, if, you listen to, if we listen to all of our fans, the only beer we ever sell would be Code Red. And I just have to constantly explain to people that even though it keeps winning awards, no one wants to buy it because people don't drink yeah. a lot of red IPA. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I would agree with you about uh, it certainly being gut feel. Um, as a brewer or a, or a boss, uh, you most certainly have to uh, listen to your uh, your fans and, and, and the people who you drinkers, the people who drink your beer and that sort of thing. Um, but sometimes, but they don't, you can't be that sort of brewery that asks, hey, guys, hey, what do you want, to, want us to brew? What exactly. do you want us to call this beer? Yeah. You've got to take the lead a little bit um, with, your, with your punters and take them on a journey, not ask them where they want to go. And, um, and I think that if you take them on a, on a journey 
Um, and each time just get them to come a little bit further and a little bit further. Um, that's what keeps the interest in 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 the brand and and in the in, in say a new release or something like that. Um, most importantly, from a business perspective, you know, and and speaking from experience as well, having run um, you know a brewing company, you just got to let your consumers decide what it is you're going to sell. Mm. You know, you might have in your mind, I'm going to sell you know a, a lager, a pale ale, an IPA, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, but your consumers will tell you what they want to buy, and that's what's more important. And tell you, know? you by uh, their actions of purchasing, as opposed to telling you what they yes. say they will buy. That's correct. Absolutely. Um, you know, eight, seven days a week. That is that is absolutely the case. Um, and at the end of the day, as much as you know, I would love to brew beers that I enjoy brewing. That doesn't matter. What matters when you're in a brewing business is brewing beers that people want to buy. You know. Um, and um, um, I think a skillful brewer um, can can take. The, uh, and, and I'm talking this from from the liquid perspective. I don't really give a fuck about labels or anything like that. Um, but you know, from from a brewer's perspective, I just want to make beers that um, that take people on a bit of a journey. Um, you know, stretch the imagination a little bit. Um, when 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 appropriate, and sometimes you just got to give people a good smashable drinking beer mm. as well, you know. Um, but what? But at the end of the day, we're in the business of we're in the beer business, and we've got to make what people want to buy. So you know, the smaller you are, the more innovative you can get. The bigger you get, the less innovative you can be. Right. Yeah. Um, we've got You're a probably question on, on there from Flash. I'm going to come back to that one, but I got I got another one from Darren Hill. Which I like. He, he said, "What supplies have been hard to get?" And um, I think I might throw this to you, Hendo, because probably high on our list at the moment of things that have been hard to get is is staff, or more specifically, brewers. Oh, what was the what was the question again? You broke up a little when you asked it. Well, the, the question was, "What supplies are hard to get?" But if I think about the things that are hard to get, staff is top of my list. Oh, so as in as in running a brewery, what's difficult to get? Yeah, yeah, hops yeah. or grain, or but I, but I think stuff. Well, it's yeah. I would say I would say skilled crew um, and hops. Yeah, would probably be be the main things. Um, you know, um, I, I think we've got something lined up in the future to talk about the lack of skilled crew and then, and how the the, the the brewing business is growing. Um, but when it comes to hops uh, in particular. Um, um, brewers in Australia are having to be more forward planning than they used to be, say, five years ago. You know, when I had a brewing company, I could just pick up the phone and order some Nelson Sorvin and it'd be at the brewery the next day and that sort of thing. It wasn't a problem. You can't do that anymore. Um, you know, any, every brewery, no matter what size you are, has to contract their hops many, many years in advance. Mm. Um, that's changed from the supply side of things in the brewing business, you know, um, you know, with, um, you know, Bintani, New Zealand Hops, Hopco, Yakima Chief, Cryer, you know, you know, all these different suppliers into the industry have really forced this change. And I guess that those suppliers just want to lock in brewers for the long term. You know, it's in their interest to, to, to contract out. It's in the farmer's interest to contract their, um, their harvest and that sort of thing. They're farmers at the end of the day. So, um, 
but it's not it's not exactly it's not there are some difficulties around hops but you you have to if you're thinking of starting a brewery you absolutely have to think more long term with what you're going to make um because you want to be able to get the hops to make that beer yeah 100 percent. we um we had this conversation this week and we, you know, our business is obviously growing very quickly. So it's, it's just impossible to predict the future. Every year we've doubled. So it's like, okay, are we going to double next year? Uh, who knows? Um, but mm-hmm. we, had a, we had a conversation just yesterday about, okay, if we sign up this new deal. Well, just the size, you know, 20,000 litre batches of beer and we've got six of these tanks. How many hops, how many hops? does that beer use that we didn't think about a year ago and can we actually get those hops so it yeah. becomes a real challenge oops sorry i'm just gonna put this away because i don't need that anymore oh there we go sorry about that just lost my audio no worries can you still hear me i can still hear you yeah yeah absolutely nice you sound exactly the same um, all right, so Flash's Thank question you. was whether we were going to expand into state. I assume he's talking about Black Ops. I, I don't particularly have any more plans to do any more interstate than we're currently doing. I like the kind of local model, so I don't really have any plans for that. Um, what are you doing at the moment? We have Where's your focus at the moment? We have distributors in all the other states, and we sell a lot of beer now to Dan Murphy's, and they distribute for you, and they don't need sales reps, and it's just working for us for the interstate stuff. Um, the idea of going to the idea of putting reps on directly, you know, employing them into state is is just scary at the moment, especially the COVID stuff. It's just it's just too big. So we're just focusing locally. I think the business can keep growing yeah. the way it's currently growing. Mm, yeah, awesome. Um, all right, so I've got a question here from Luke from Grandad Jacks. He's a buddy buddy of mine, which is timely because I just talked about this. He says. How can a new brand start up and be profitable while growing without selling products to big companies like Dan Murphy's? Uh, you can't really, can you? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. um, or how do you, so the question was, how do you grow without selling your product to, to Coles and Woolies, basically, Dan Murphy's and, was that the question? Yeah, but I mean, I suppose my question back would be, why wouldn't you want to sell to those companies mm-hmm. yeah look it, it um it presents its own challenges um as no doubt you're aware because your volume goes up and that means you've got to find money and then um you know the, the majors don't pay straight away um longer credit terms and stuff like that which is challenging um, because, but when COVID- you know when you've got some shelf space you Sorry, there's a bit of a delay, but I was just going to say when um, COVID hit, they dropped their terms back to 30 days and um, they generally pay on time as well, which is not that easy to get all small companies oh. to do. So it's not as bad as it was. And absolutely. That, absolutely. And that's, a, that's the thing you can be, um, you know, dead set um, confident in if you if you put your product into Dan Murphy's is that when there's a due date on the bill, they're going to pay their bill on time. They're, gonna, they're not going to dick you around. Um so um, if you're thinking of starting a brewery, you need to think about what sort of business model you, you want to have. Um, it's really difficult and expensive and very capital intensive to be able to be a brewery that grows into Dan Murphy's. 
um, and has that big volume and stuff like that, um, it is possible to uh, be able to be a hyper-local brewery, have a tap room, have a few bottle shops, you know, turn on all those revenue streams, you know, people buying pints over the bar, people buying takeaway beers from your brewery, cans into a bottle shop, a couple of taps, you know, selling some kegs and all that sort of stuff. And if you're a small brewery and you turn on all those revenue streams, um, you can you can do okay. Um, but you've got to choose to really be that and sort of I, I think it's wise to sort of have that um, spread of those revenue streams. It sort of lowers your risk and that sort of thing because COVID, you know, you've seen some breweries that, generate almost all of their revenue out of their tap room and suddenly they've been closed for months and months and months, mm. you know, looking at a lot of the Sydney breweries and stuff like that. Fuck, that must be hard, you yeah, know. Couldn't imagine. Um, and so that's why you, you have, you've got to have that, you know. A lot of the Sydney breweries that I can imagine are just doing it exceedingly tough at the moment, you know, are the breweries that, you know, have lots and lots of tap points in the inner west of Sydney that haven't sold a keg in fucking nearly three months or something mm. like that, you know? Shit, that, 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 that would destroy an average business, you know? So, 100%. Um, so I think I think you're starting a, a brewery and it's not going to be a big brewery. And by that, as in it's going to make less than half a million litres a year. Um, I think you have to sort of have all of those revenue streams turned on um, so that you can be nimble, you know, Um uh, and and do it to the point where like you don't necessarily have to hire a sales rep, a full time sales rep. You've got a good tap room. You've marketed your tap room well, um, you know. Um, and, and I and I think that that's that's the key to survival in the future is being is being flexible and, and nimble. But the good thing is most craft brewers are nimble. Nice. Okay. Well, I think that's probably enough. Um... Thanks for doing this, mate. That was fun. It didn't go too badly. A few delays on the... the oh, it's great. I've got to have a beer in the school night. I'm ready for another beer now, so... <laughs> well, I did have in the schedule there a beer break. How do people find like five this? five minutes after we had our beer. Yeah, exactly. So how do people find us, mate? Yes, well, uh, so this is going to be a podcast. It's actually already on the Apple Podcast app. So you can go onto the podcast app, search for The Boss and The Brewer and subscribe to our feed. So please do that. We've also got a website, the boss, oh, sorry, bossandthebrewer.com. Um, and you can jump on there. If you're not on Apple, there's an RSS feed on there. We've submitted to Spotify and Stitcher, so they'll be up there soon. And we'll see how we go with recording it. This, this was fun, but um, with, whether the audio is good enough to kind of capture and put onto the podcast, I don't know. So we'll see if we keep doing it live. It's fun to do it live. But if not, we might just record it and chuck it on there. We'll, we'll see how we go. You don't learn until you launch, like we discussed before. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> right. Cheers. Thanks for people who came out live. And, and thank you, Hendo. Thanks to everybody who's tuned in. Really, really good. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. See you, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.